0: Picture yourself kicking back in a cushy chair. Your legs are stretched out in front of you, there's an ocean view, and a cool breeze caresses your cheeks. Excuse me, a handsome man interrupts before handing you a glass of champagne. In the distance, a baby cries, like a lot, but you can't hear it. Just soothing white noise, rustling pages, And the clink of metal forks against glass plates. This is what it's like to fly business class, and it does not come cheap. Now, it might have been a while since you got on a plane, so let's recap. Over the past 10 years, air travel for the average person has started to suck. Sure, prices are down, but so is legroom, seat width, even the number of bags you can bring on board. Meanwhile, the space in the front of the plane just keeps getting nicer. Flying business class used to mean a wider chair. Now it can mean a seat that turns into a bed, a privacy wall, silk pajamas, hand cream, lip balm, even name-brand perfume. And the service is totally better. All of this isn't really for travelers. It's for airlines. Business-class seats are a huge moneymaker. Take the route between New York and Los Angeles. Just 10% of its passengers are business-class ticket holders. But those passengers account for 21% of the route's aggregate revenue. There's just one problem with this model, or at least one planetary problem. Business class is a major factor in airlines' carbon footprint. And considering the earth is pretty much begging for our attention, is it really worth it just to eat a three-course meal in the sky? This is A Court's Obsession, a podcast that explores the fascinating backstories behind everyday ideas and what they tell us about the global economy. I'm your host, Kira Bindrum. Today, business class and how a 20th century perth became a luxury arms race. I'm joined now by David Yanofsky, who is known in our newsroom as Yano. Now, Yano is the editor in charge of data and visualizations at Quartz, and he is based in Los Angeles. How is L.A. today?
1: It's always a great day in L.A.
0: The weather is, is 70 degrees and sunny.
1: It is beautiful. It is another beautiful day in Los Angeles.
0: You are uh, our data dude, as I put it in my notes, which is like not something I've ever called you. But you're also kind of our aviation expert. Why is that? I actually don't know how you got so interested in this topic.
1: It was kind of a hobby of necessity. I was living on uh, the opposite side of the country from my partner and would have to fly a lot. And so I very quickly... Started looking into how to get cheap flights, how to make my flight experience better, and spending a lot of time on airplanes. You you see a lot of stories and ended up writing a lot of them up. But now I live in Los Angeles with my wife.
0: It's incredible how many of these, uh, how you got into it stories start with something from someone's (laughs) partner. We're all finding stories with whomever we're dating. Mm -hmm. But I actually want to start with like some history. I want to go back in time. When did this idea of a business class emerge?
1: So... In the early days of aviation, there was really only one type of service. There was just the airplane. And there was also regulation in place that said you can only charge one fare per flight. So what really brought about the introduction of business class was the change in laws that said airlines, US airlines, can now offer different fare classes. They can charge different amounts for people on the same airplane.
0: So when did that happen?
1: That happened in the 1950s, but we didn't end up really seeing business class pop up until the late 70s. And so the first airline to introduce a class of service targeted at business class travelers was British Airways. And they they introduced their club service, but uh yeah, they they offered, you know, this product that wasn't first class. Businesses were never going to pay for their salesmen to fly first class if they're not their top executives. But by offering a business class, this is now a a better experience, a a nicer product that you can convince your boss to pay for.
0: Okay. So in 1950-ish, there's deregulation. Now airlines can charge different fares. They start discounting because people want to take shorter trips or they can book really far in advance, like they don't need the same flexibility that the business class passenger does.
1: They want to offer that differentiation because they can make more money by doing that. More people traveling is more money for the airlines. So they say, oh, how do we get more people in the, uh, onto this plane? And you we say, well, we charge a cheaper ticket. Well, how do we protect the high ticket prices that we get business travelers? Well, let's create tickets that are very inconvenient for business travel. You have to book it 14 days in advance. You have to stay over a weekend. If you're a business traveler, you want to get in and out. You want to you want to you want to fly out on a Wednesday and fly back on a Thursday and be at home for family dinner.
0: So business class kind of starts as a more expensive ticket or whatever, same price ticket, non-discounted ticket because of you need the flexibility basically.
1: Yeah. Yeah, that's actually a pretty good way to think about it where where business class was not really an upgrade. It was more that the discounts was a downgrade. And so to keep business travelers to pay similar fares into the future, they had to offer better service.
0: You've kind of touched on this, but I feel like it's a question that that I don't know the answer to. Maybe other people don't either. What is the difference between business class and first class?
1: A name? Words?
0: (laughs) A state of mind?
1: There There is no international definition of business class. There's no international definition of first class. It's marketing at its core, but generally business class is referred to as the middle class of service when a plane has three classes. So you have economy, you have business, and you have first.
0: Yeah, that makes sense. They should call it like very good investment class or something like something that really sells it.
1: That's how they pitch it, though. That's lots of airlines. That's like one of the huge selling points of business class from airlines is Your employee that you're sending on this business trip needs to be rested and ready for action when they get there. There's this great British Airways commercial. They show him in a scene in, like, say, London, right in front of Big Ben, and he crawls into bed. Good night. Fades to black, sun goes down. And then the light comes up, and he's in bed in Times Square, and he gets out of bed, and he says... Good morning.
0: The only truly flatbeds in business class.
1: That's it. Who doesn't want that? Go to bed in London, wake up in New York. Let's do it. That's a good ad.
0: That is super compelling. We have talked about sort of the history of business class. Let's say 1950s deregulation through the 80s when business class starts to really take off. Now I kind of want to talk about like Not the immediate past, because obviously the pandemic has impacted air travel, but let's say like 2015 to 2019. How big or how important is business class now?
1: Well, up into the pandemic, super important. Business class on certain flights, it can make 80% of revenue or even depending on, on how you break down more.
0: So most people flying business class are doing it on their company's dime, as far as we know.
1: On certain routes, absolutely. A couple of years ago, United put up this banner in some staff area and it ended up getting tweeted and it was touting their relationship with Apple. And this banner touted that Apple was buying 50 business class seats a day between San Francisco and Shanghai. And that alone was $35 million in revenue every year. Apple's total relationship with United is $150 million per year. So you have to believe that every other airline wants that business. Like, obviously, airlines, billions of dollars in revenue every year. But this is a... Who doesn't want $150 million a year?
0: Okay, so we have some portion of the plane... That is in business class and some portion of that portion whose tickets were paid for by their company. um, And there are these huge deals going on. I want to talk a little bit more about the other people in business class who paid for their tickets themselves or didn't. Like the sort of uh, incentive aspect of business class for people who typically are flying economy.
1: Yeah. I mean, business class is like a really juicy carrot for everyday travelers. If you are loyal to an airline, even if you're buying cheap tickets. Your access to business class, to first class, to whatever, is basically proportional to the amount of money that you spend on the airline. Airlines can use the business class cabin as a way to incentivize people who would otherwise never fly business class to be loyal to their airline, to be frequent flyers. You know, those those perks that I'm talking about of getting status on an airline it's really hard to get even the lowest level of, level of status on these airlines without spending two, $3,000 a year on a single airline. And then these blogs, these airline blogs, will down to the penny, down to the fraction of a penny even, will try and evaluate the monetary value of being loyal to a certain airline um, because of how you can cash in those points for perks like business class.
0: After the break, the business class carbon footprint... Okay, so we have been talking about how important business class is to airlines' bottom line. Now I kind of want to get into how important it is to the planet, and, and specifically from sort of an environmental uh, or sustainability perspective. Let's start with the environmental impact of flying in general, commercial flight. What, what is it? <laughs> kind of a broad broad question, but what, uh, what is it relative to other things?
1: It's bad. What is it? It's like 4% of global emissions comes from, comes from the airline industry. And in a vacuum, like, wow, that's a lot. That is a lot. One industry, 4%. On the other hand, like, everything we do causes emissions. You eat a cheeseburger, you've caused emissions. You drive your car instead of walk, you've caused emissions. But you getting to work in 20 minutes instead of an hour, instead of two hours because you walk. That is the very crux of it. We're spending carbon in a way um, and we're budgeting carbon. So the question isn't really about how much is the airline industry emitting? It's about how much is it worth to us as a society for it to emit?
0: So does business class account for like an outsized share of the those emissions?
1: Yeah, definitely. The only fair way to calculate emissions on a per passenger basis is to um, look at the amount of space and weight that each passenger on an airplane is responsible for. And business class seats are bigger, are heavier. Business class passengers are are given meals that weigh more. (laughs) They are allowed more baggage on the airplane and they take more baggage on the airplane. And so all of these things combined mean that, that a business class passenger is responsible for like one and a half to two times more emissions than an economy passenger. And There's also this kind of replacement theory that if business class wasn't there, there could be more people on that airplane and that airplane would be more efficient because you now have more seats available on each flight. And that means less total emissions from the airline industry.
0: As we're starting to see airlines talk about reducing their carbon footprint or being more carbon neutral and like starting to set deadlines and and goals around that. Is the business class model, the revenue model that they're so dependent on, sort of at play in that? Or are there other things that airlines are doing and they're not particularly focused on, on this business class aspect?
1: I think airlines are doing everything they can to avoid changing the configuration of the cabin. I think an airline would much rather find an alternative fuel or, or an alternative energy. The airlines love improving efficiency in their routes. Um, you know, being better at predicting weather, flying at different altitudes, um, flying slower are all strategies to reduce fuel burn.
0: It sounds like what you're saying is that this is this is the cash cow and it's kind of I like the last thing on the table. There's all these other things that airlines can do and are focused on um, to improve their carbon footprint. And ideally, they wouldn't have to adjust this formula that seems to be working so well. But, you know, we haven't talked a lot yet about the pandemic and we are starting to see as flying comes back a lot of. Companies and CEOs acknowledge that business travel is not going to come back, at least not anytime soon, in the same way. And I guess I'm wondering do you think that that is going to force a change in the business model in the way that just sort of leaving it up to the airlines probably wouldn't?
1: Airlines are very reactive to the economic climate. We saw that during the pandemic. Airlines had to park airplanes, right? They didn't just keep on flying and no one was on them. No, they parked airplanes, they cut schedules, they changed what they offered and how they offered it very quickly. But yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, if there's any industry that is sensitive to demands of its customers, and and the economics of its industry, its airlines, they are very hyper focused on maximizing the revenue from every, every airplane that flies. And if they have business passengers that are looking for more sustainable ways to travel, they're going to have to adapt.
0: It seems like since this uh, fragmentation of the ticket types, everything is set up to incentivize airlines to continue developing and getting more revenue out of the front of the plane and the back of the plane, the seats are getting smaller, you know, everything's getting worse. (laughs) Do you (laughs) think if we do see this sort of pandemic induced change in in the demand for business travel, we might see a world in which there's all this energy and incentive going into making economy a better experience? Or like, how do you see that maybe playing out?
1: I think that's definitely... Possible. I mean, the the most sustainable way to travel is to travel on an airline that doesn't offer business class. Someone deciding to not fly business class and fly economy, and that seat in business class gets left empty. There's no change in the carbon emissions on that airplane. To fly on a, on an airline like Southwest instead of an airline that offers business class, you're creating demand for a product that is more carbon efficient and. The aggregate demand for more sustainable travel modes is going to be the thing that that drives lowering emissions in the airline industry. And that includes people traveling by other modes. That includes someone who takes a train instead of flying is making a carbon negative choice.
0: So the, the best thing for like a sustainably minded business traveler to do would not necessarily be to take an economy seat and then glare at the business class people as they walk by them, but but rather fly an airline that doesn't have business class at all or investigate, you know, where it's reasonable, a different and, and more sustainable mode of transportation in the first place. Is that right? Yeah.
1: Or like many companies have realized, don't travel. Do a video call.
0: Let's say I am a human who has committed to flying less, but I still got to go places, Yano. I still got vacations to go on. I still want to leave um, my continent, let's say. But I'm committed to not using business class because I, I do care about the planet. I'm on, you know, a, an airline that doesn't have it or something. Is there any way to kind of replicate the experience of business class in economy?
1: There is a way to build your own business class. It's not as good as flying business class, but it's pretty close.
0: Okay, give me the recipe. Like, what's the process here?
1: Okay, so let me just start off by saying that this is going to cost more than you're used to spending to fly. However, with maybe like 150 extra dollars, you get very close to that business class experience. And that includes maybe getting a a credit card with an airline that gives you like expedited screening at the airport um, or signing up for something like clear or pre-check and global entry in the United States. Then you can also pay a little bit extra to the airline to get a slightly nicer seat, something with a little extra legroom. That little extra legroom seat usually allows you to board sooner, allows you, might allow you to have a check bag included. All of these perks that are, that come, you know, come standard with a business class ticket. But before you get on the plane, you go and you pick up food in the terminal. You're finding very nice food. Maybe, maybe you pack it for yourself, whatever you want. But most importantly, you are traveling with a thermos.
0: That's not where I thought this was going.
1: (laughs) Yes. No, this is the most important thing. If you want to simulate business class while flying economy, you must travel with a thermos. And you must travel in an airport that has a soft serve ice cream machine. Because one of the true joys of business class is you have your meal and then they bring you an ice cream sundae. And you enjoy this nice ice cream sundae on an airplane and you are carefree. And so you get that soft serve in the thermos and you crack open that thermos, you know, an hour before you're supposed to land and you start eating that ice cream and you say, yeah, life is good. You do all that, you can get a pretty close to business class experience. The one thing that you're never going to get in economy is a flight attendant who cares for you as much as a flight attendant in business class. And that is just a numbers game.
0: Okay. This is what I'm taking away from our whole conversation. Are you ready? Yeah. Ideally, fly on on flights without business class. Invest in pre-check or something that gets you through the security line faster. Mm -hmm. Uh, Invest in extra legroom if that's something that's important to you. Invest in a thermos. This is the most important one. I actually feel like I've learned more about you from how important the thermos is to your experience than I have about business class, but I like it.
1: I will say I do travel enough to be one of these people that airlines treat nicely. And I do get upgraded regularly enough that... I'm just getting the ice cream in business class.
0: Okay, I have one last question for you. When we fly again and we make small talk with people next to us on the plane, what is your favorite fun fact about business class? What is the thing I'm gonna whisper to business class as I walk by them with my thermos back to my premium economy seat?
1: Well, my my favorite fun fact about business class, which most people think is stupid, members of Congress fly on government fares, which one are paid for by the government and two are cheaper, But the airline miles that members of Congress and federal government employees traveling on business accrue, accrue to them personally. And so while government officials are not allowed to buy business class tickets, usually, you often see them flying in business class because they fly so often that they have status on the airlines and they have so many miles. They have more miles than they know what to do with that they can upgrade themselves on every single flight. Now, some Politicians appreciate the optics of that and do not do that. I think famously, famously, <laughs> it was Bernie Sanders sitting like in front of one row in front of was Elizabeth Warren or vice versa during the 2020 campaign primary season. And there was lots of hullabaloo around that happenstance.
0: Politicians are stealing our upgrades. That's what I'm hearing you say. Yeah. That's not fun. That's an infuriating fact. But, but I'll take it. Thank you so much, Yano, for joining me on this episode.
1: You're welcome.
0: That's our obsession for the week. This episode was produced by Katie Jane Fernelius. Our sound engineer is George Drake. And the theme music is by Taka Yazuzawa and Alex Sukhira. Special thanks to editors David Yanovsky in Los Angeles and Alex Osola in New York. If you liked what you heard, please leave a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you're listening. Tell your friends about us. Be like, "Hey, next time you need to fly somewhere, check out this great podcast." Then head to qz.com/obsession to sign up for Quartz's weekly obsession email and browse hundreds of interesting backstories.